Last week, a communication came out of the Vatican Press Office. The Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops has invited the Holy Father to make an apostolic journey to Canada, also in the context of the long-standing pastoral process of reconciliation with indigenous peoples. The statement continues, His Holiness has indicated his willingness to visit the country on a date to be settled in due course. End of statement. At the same time, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops released their own statement titled Canadian Bishops to Welcome Pope Francis to Canada on Historic Pilgrimage of Healing and Reconciliation. In that statement, Canadian bishops say that they are grateful that Pope Francis has accepted their invitation to visit Canada. So, all the news agencies were reporting that the Holy Father will come to Canada in 2022, which is likely. Unfortunately, with papal visits, it is not 100% confirmed until the dates are announced, and that is not usually done until about three months before, so we will have to wait. In the meantime, let's hope that the possibility of the Pope's visit next year does not overshadow the delegation of indigenous survivors, elders, knowledge keepers, and youth that will travel to the Vatican to meet with Pope Francis this December. The December delegation has been three years in the making and will be a fitting first step in anticipation of the Holy Father's visit next year. I'm Deacon Pedro and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and sitting here with me is Danny Torquia. Danny, it's good to have you with us today. Hey, Deacon, so much to talk about. I know, I know. You excited that Pope Francis might be coming to Canada? I can't, I can't wait. I mean, we're here to build bridges and expand new ones. How exciting is that among all people? It is. Um, so, in fact, that's going to be the our featured interview today. We're going to be speaking uh, with Archbishop Richard Smith of Edmonton. I think you know him. Um, he's going to be in our second half hour, uh, in about 25 minutes. And he's going to tell us a little bit about what we know about the, the possibility of Pope Francis coming to Canada. But first, before all of that, um, Danny, you're going to be here introducing a new series. What's your new series going to be about this year? Well, and still under the spirit of media ministry minutes, which is how we started it. Uh, and then we went into rearing rebels, bringing into uh, family life, what I've learned in marketing yep. now for season three. We're going to talk about from consumers to priests, which okay. is going to we're going to touch on the baptized, the, the, the priesthood of the baptized, which is a super important concept where we want to be all of us. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's out there, uh, which is the forces of consumption, consumption, consumption. So it's going to be an exciting series. OK, it is. And I, and I, I love that stuff. So and I'm very intrigued about about the idea of being a priest versus being a consumer. So that's all coming up in about five minutes or so after our song. And then after Danny, Billy's going to be joining us. Billy has another question about the homily and about the mass. So you want to stick around for that. And then, as I said, in our second half hour, we will be speaking with Archbishop Richard Smith of Edmonton. And we're going to ask him about the December delegation. There's a delegation going to Rome in December to meet with the Holy Father and also about the possibility of the Pope coming next year and why all of this is happening right now. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with Archbishop Smith. And then at the end of the program, uh, uh, Danny, we're going to be speaking with uh, David Wong. He's the front man of the, of the Canadian Catholic rock band, Critical Mass. He's been on the show many, many times. Um, and Dave, 
has a new project that he's working on on the topic of parental alienation. Do you know what that is? Have you ever heard of that concept? No, I have not. And I can't wait to find out more. Yeah. So parental alienation occurs when one parent manipulates a child to reject the other parent. I don't know how common it is, but I know it's common. And we all know people that have gone through through difficult divorces and and sometimes the children get caught in the middle. So David has been working on a project about this. The project involves a website. And of course, because he's a musician, it also involves music. There's a whole album on this theme. And David Wong will be joining us at the end of the show to tell us about that. And we'll get to get to uh, listen to some of the music as well. It sounds like reconciliation in all of branches and 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 fighting division is a theme of today. That that very much it reconciliation. So so I hope people can stick around for the whole show. If they cannot, you know that you can go to our website slmedia.org/podcast to listen to the program. You can also subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. So Danny, let's start. Here's Critical Mass with Serenity from their new album of the same name. God help me I can't change How my life has been Rearranged Give me
That was Critical Mass with the title track of their album, Serenity. And we're going to be speaking with David Wong of Critical Mass in our second half hour. So I hope that you can all stick around for that. And now it's time for Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia, who's still sitting here. And uh, are we calling this Media Ministry Minutes or are we calling it Consumers to Priests? What do you think? Let's do the latter. Consumers to Priests, uh, part of the Media Ministry Minutes, uh, I guess, initiative started a couple of years ago. So happy to do this and tackle consumers and priests, the spectrum. So tell us, so why why consumers? Why is, uh, I should let you go wherever you want to go. But my, my question is, why is a consumer the opposite of a priest? Well, you know what? Let's start with the why. As Simon Sinek says, let's start with the why. Well, you know, most of, I'm so, it's so beautiful to think of the diversity of your audience. Think of the, everyone out there. We've all experienced different forms of challenges. Some of us have experienced poverty. Some of us, poor choices, broken relationships, you know, others discrimination, or maybe we come from a a, a place where there was civil war, violence. But regardless, we're all here in North America, most of us listeners. And one thing that is common to all of us is this force that is that we all have to contend with which is felt around the world increasingly, which is the drive to make us perpetual consumers. And it is real. Yeah. And I'm, if anything I would like to do, Deacon Pedro, in my life is to witness to what I've lived as a PR guy, you know, mm-hmm. PR person. Yeah. And a lot of, I've said this a few times, maybe to your listeners, I can't count the number of times I've had PR people come to me crying or um, depressed or borderline, you know, feeling real deep despair in their lives because they're being used and abused as a rag doll. Mm-hmm. But, and by what? Well, it's the force of creating perpetual consumers at all costs. Right. So, so I think that the best antidote against this force, of course, Jesus is Jesus is Jesus is going to be a solution to, to, to finding happiness. Yeah. But, but part of the solution is being aware of the tactics or the nature of this force, the, the, this enemy force called unchecked consumerism. It's an mm-hmm. ugly place. So I would love to talk to, to you about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And I'm excited about this. This is a topic that, that, that just blows me away. I just have one question before you, before you set out, because I know you, you have lots to share today. Where do you think that that need to consume it doesn't isn't that rooted in our desire to be happy like our desire for god is just misplaced 
Right. Well, a hundred percent. I mean, we, we have this force in us, this search, right. For, for, for fulfillment, for a sense of purpose, being part of a whole, mm-hmm. obviously it's the, the deep callings of the heart yearning of the heart for, for, for something, which is God. But, but yeah, we, we, we're looking for love in all the wrong places as the song goes. <laughs> yeah. We're looking for, uh, you know, being satiating or fulfilling our, 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 uh, these, this search with short-term pleasures. And, and, and the thing is, is that we're walking into a very sophisticated machinery mm. full with millions of dollars. And I'm speaking in, uh, from experience yeah. of market researchers, of mar- PR people like myself, storytellers, journalists, lobbyists, dominant coalition, corporate he- leaders. And all I wish, Deacon Pedro, is that you know, when you, whenever you bring ethics or love or charity uh, into a business, a business is a very good thing. Yeah. But if you, yeah. if you break the human... Yeah. And you put them in, in a place of power where they have advertising channels, where they have sales techniques, marketing techniques, and it's meant to only create a perpetual consumer who is addicted. Mm-hmm. Well, it's working. So my message is that parents, there's a force out there. They're after our, kid, our kids and ourselves and our parents at, at, at a great cost to get them hooked on products and consumption. And that's what I tell my kids. And they get it. And doesn't mean we don't enjoy a, 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 a branded product from time to time from a global multinational to not name Coca-Cola yes. you know, a soft drink or something. Yes, yes. Uh, we do do that, but you have to be aware of what you're, what's out there. Yes. So that's why consumers and priests, we can talk about that spectrum because we're all really called to be a priesthood of the baptized, which is uplifting. Yeah. Okay, good. And I want you to explain that if that's kind of your plan. So for the, over, for the, over the next couple of months, this is what we're going to be looking at and and you're going to be helping us move more towards the priest side of the spectrum and less t- towards the consumer side of the spectrum yes but and we can look at what what w- the forces that um chip away at us yes to, to tell us consumers. tell us about that well i'll just start by saying you know look at um the 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 tentacles yeah. Of, you know, the old term might be advertising, but no, it's not advertising. It's it's everything in uh, in marketing communications in the world. It, like think of videos and video games and pop music and email marketing. Think of the emails you get. Yeah. Think of the ads you get on on YouTube. I mean, yeah. I know my kids, my kids got ads for a very promiscuous or pornographic uh, things at a young age. Maybe maybe I'm not a very good at blocking things on YouTube, Mm -hmm. but like YouTube and social media, like like Facebook magazines, digital marketing, street teams, advertising at at the out of home and built in um, on the highways. Yes. You know, what I'm getting at is this term we call omni-channel marketing Mm -hmm. is pretty effective way to, fight whatever goodness you're teaching your kids that, that's yes. like take stock of that parents we, if we don't talk about the faith and virtue uh multiple times a day well the uh, the voice of consumerism is reaching your kids multiple times a day be sure of that and and if i listen to what you're saying what what is being advertised or promoted may not in itself be a bad thing but yeah. but but just just the pervasiveness of of this constant messaging that's omnipresent omni right it's all yeah, over the place omni- that's what you're trying to to guard us against yeah because you know what you're right you, but let, it's not bad in and of itself 
but neither is the art of poetry. But it depends what you're saying, right? The, you know, poetry could lead yes, to propaganda yes, and genocide. Yes, yes, I get it. Um, I get it. But but you no, know, overall, the omni-channel effect is you're not you're not worth. You know, L'Oreal used to have the slogan because you're worth it. I, yes. I used to work for L'Oreal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you're worth it. But the reality is the totality of what we said, these omni-channel channels, the reality is that they're communicating, you're worth it only by association with us. Yes, exactly. Or our product or our lifestyle. Absolutely. No, in fact, they're saying you're not worth it, but you can be if you purchase this thing. Nobody, you don't have any friends, so you should buy, wear these jeans, drive this car and and you'll be really popular. Yes, exactly. Um, Okay, so we're totally out of time. Um, I don't know if you wanted to explain why the opposite of priest is a consumer, or is that something that's, that we need to wait for the next time? Well, you know what? I, why don't you? I think it's important just to say that the priest, a priest, is someone who gives of themselves, Amen. of himself. A priest is someone who sacrifices. And I think you know, if we don't uh, stand on guard, if we don't give to the other, and we can, the more we give, the more Jesus fills us up and allows us to give more the next day. And then that's how we go to bed really peaceful at night. And if we just hoard and consume, amen, you know, you see it in your life and in the kid's life that they'll go to bed and something is missing. They're wrestling with something. Yes. I love that. I'm really looking forward to, to the next couple months of this okay. conversation. And I, and I, and I hope that if our listeners really want to get engaged, write to us, send your questions or your comments, uh, because this is, uh, this is important yeah. stuff. Danny, thank you for bringing it up. Well, I'll tell you next time we could talk about commercial observances or lobbyists or influencers, but we'll, we'll see. It'll be a surprise. Deacon It'll Ray. be a surprise. Lots, lots to talk about there. Consumers to priests with Danny Torquia. Uh, Danny is the managing director of Torquia Communications. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Torquia or read his blog at dialogueandgrace.com. Hi, I'm Danielle Savard, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can send me an email, pedro at slmedia.org. Let me know what you think of the show. Now it's time for Church for Dummies with Billy Chan that has another question about the homily, the mass. Yes, you know, uh, last time we were like uh, rumbling around, you know, we talked a lot of different things as usual, right? You know, me and yes. you always like jumping around here and there. So just, you know, just to make sure, do we need to have homily in mass? Okay, so I found out for you. So, <laughs> okay. and this is actually, I'm surprised that it wasn't just a liturgical norm um, in the general instruction for the liturgy. It's actually in, in canon law. Um Canon 767 says that a homily must be given at all masses on Sunday and holy days of obligation, which are celebrated with a congregation, and it cannot be omitted except for a grave cause. And then it goes on to say that it is strongly recommended that if there is a sufficient congregation, that a homily should be given even at masses during the week, especially uh, on the occasion of a feast or, or or an event or during Advent and the Lenten season. So there you go. Yeah. Strongly recommended. Strongly recommended. Yes. So, so I, I thought I remember, I, I thought I asked this question already about, uh, uh, so is it only the priests and the deacons can do homily? Y- yes. Yes. So, so the, the priest and the deacon are the ordinary ministers of the word 
which means that they're the ones that can preach. They're the ones that can proclaim the gospel. Um, but that doesn't mean that someone else cannot share a reflection. So I think that it gets oh, okay. a little technical between the, what is a homily and what is a reflection. So a lot of times you might have the priest, as long as the priest or the deacon says one thing after the gospel, that counts as the homily. So okay, so they can of, just say, "Oh, I'm going to invite Billy." Well, can, I think no. I they would normally give maybe a little like today we are invited to reflect on on what it means to be a missionary and to help us. Yeah. Uh, sister so and so, who's a real missionary, is going to come now and tell us. And uh-huh. and a lot of times you you see that especially during vocation week, yeah, or or if there's like mission week or you wanted to bring someone to talk about a particular uh about a particular situation or or, yeah. or, or mission or something. Yeah, exactly. So you know, uh, the next question is a big one. It's a really big one. Okay. Um, I I think a lot of Catholic do not really know, do not even attend this kind of mass. The mass I'm talking about is called the Latin mass. Okay. Uh, so um, recently, I think a few months ago, uh, there's a lot of like uh, uh, talking and news about uh, Pope Francis is going to limit. Uh, the Latin Mass. Yes. So let's talk about you know from the beginning you know, because the word Latin Mass is very fascinating. I find you know this um is not about Chinese Mass. It's not about you know well, Spanish yes. Mass. It's about Latin Mass. No, you're so, right, and it's and it's confusing because when people talk about the Latin Mass, they're actually talking about the Tridentine Mass. So this is okay. this is a particular rite, R I T E, a particular rite. So, uh-huh. like, if you go to a a, a Ukrainian mass, yeah, Eastern Catholic rite, it's a Ukrainian rite or an mm-hmm. Eastern rite. So it's a different. The, the liturgy is slightly different. So that that's the difference. Or the or the the uh, the Anglican Communion, the Ordinariate, it's a different rite. R I T E. Okay. So okay. so the Trinity what mass. What is it? Mm-hmm. The Trinity mass was the mass, the liturgy that was established. Uh, I think it was Pope Paul the Fifth. I. I, I'm not sure in the 16th century or something. Okay. Um, and that was, so that was the mass, the liturgy that was celebrated for all those years until the second Vatican council. We know about the second Vatican council and all the reforms. And the main thing about the second Vatican council was that with, as it pertained to the liturgy was that the liturgy, that, that there should be more of a, an active participation of people in the liturgy because the Tridentine rite is very much, and it's not meant to be that way, but it is very much the priest is doing mm-hmm. what the priest does, and the people are just observants. They're so just watching. Actually, minimum connection between the parishioners and the uh, yeah, there is, and and the main reason is because of the language. So even though people would have learned the prayers in Latin, and and we know some prayers in Latin. I mean, we sometimes sing, we'll say the Lord's Prayer in Latin, and you know what you're saying, but. Um, uh, and and certainly the readings and the homily that that is necessary um, were not done in Latin. Those would have been done in the vernacular, in the language of the people, so that at least people could understand those things. Now it's interesting since we were talking about the homily. I just found out that apparently in the Tridentine rite, the homily is not obligatory. So oh, okay. um, um, I'm not sure, but that's what I just I just read. Um, and how come this has changed? After... So I think it. I think it. So here's the way I understand it: um, the the truth of the liturgy, 
Like if you if you read documents from the early church, like St. Justin Martyr, and he describes how liturgy was celebrated and, and the Eucharist was celebrated in those days, it's very similar to what we do. We they read the teachings of the prophets and the letters from the apostles, and then they it was explained to them, and then they brought the the bread and the wine, and there were prayers were said, and then they distributed to the people. And to, you know, it's very similar to what we do, but it wasn't exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So over the years, the liturgy has changed, but the bottom line, like the, the fundamental part of the, of the liturgy, which is the Eucharist, the transubstantiation, the, the consecration, the fact that there is, is the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist, those things have not changed. So the, the things that have changed have changed because we have changed, right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. if the homily is a little more sophisticated, it's because people are maybe more, and I maybe sophisticated is not the right word, but it's a little <laughs> more sophisticated now. Uh, music is different because it's culturally, right? It's different. Uh, the music in Africa is different than the music in China. Why? Because it's different people. It's a different culture. So it's, the mass has been enculturated, but the, but the fundamentals of the mass have not changed. Um, and the bottom line is that the, the Novus Ordo, which is the new translation of the mass, yeah. Is, is 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 more inclusive because it's okay. the people that celebrate mass, not the priest. So basically, um, after Vatican II, uh, um, I also want to talk about the language. Uh, before uh, the before that, we, when we use the Latin mass, we only speak in Latin. Is it right? Yes. We only use Latin. Right? So all the prayers would have been done in Latin, except the Kyrie, which is Greek. Mm, okay but after vatican ii we can use our own language yes so that was the main main difference so everything's done in the vernacular the language of of the people um and then some some of the prayers have been changed and 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 we believe that the prayers have been changed that are closer to the original latin the original latin yeah um so um yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I know that people have different preferences, but the mass is the mass, and you can't say that one mass is more valid than the other. Okay, so they are, they're, but, they're but you know, um, we still can attend Latin mass right now. Is it true? Uh, right now, with the new limitations that Pope Francis uh, directed, mm-hmm. Latin, the Tridentine rite can be celebrated with permission from the local bishop or the superior. But why? Why Pope Francis need to limit it? Do you? My understanding, and very <laughs> simply, now I will encourage people to go and look for because Pope Francis wrote the motu proprio, which is the instruction, but then he sent a letter to bishops explaining it, and it's the explanation that I think is important to read that most people did not read. The main mm-hmm. reason is that he felt that there were abuses that were happening, so it was it was this this freedom that Pope Benedict had given us was mm-hmm. being abused, and so it was better to kind of. because because it's important the catholic church is universal because there's a unity yeah and so if everybody's doing their own different thing um it's not conducive to unity so and and the way i understood those instructions was that it's not that you can't do it Mm -hmm. but you need permission from the bishop and the bishop can very well give you permission yeah so personally i mean uh, what do you find i mean the difference between latin mass and the current mass right now and uh, how do you feel when you attend both? i think that I... as a as a as a member of the congregation the latin mass again for me it's not about the words or the language or 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 the style or what you're doing for mm-hmm. me it's about um 
how much I am participating. And I can participate as much as I want to in in, in anything. So, so, but I do find that, for example, contemporary music for me, it speaks closer to my heart. I like understanding what I'm saying. Um, However, as a, as a deacon, I've, I've celebrated not the Tridentine mass, but I've celebrated the Novus Ordo at Orientum, which is with your back to the congregation. Um, so the altar is actually the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was one of the more profound experiences I had because the whole Eucharistic prayer was done about 10 inches away from the tabernacle. Um, so that was very profound for me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, but so I do. So this believe- is basically the way that um, we, how, how we like to worship God. Um, I think so. I, I think it is the way, uh, part of it has to do with that. And part of it also has to be with, you know, um, understanding the wisdom um, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit within the church as what the church needs and the church universally, not what my parish needs, but the church universally needs. And uh, the Pope, after consulting with bishops, uh, decided that this was what we needed right now. Pope Benedict years ago decided that that's what we needed then so but that doesn't mean that one is better than the other right it doesn't mean so so basically the pope has to has to say to um uh, obviously i think he actually consulting well the pope can in in, yeah well in consulting with the bishops he just doesn't do it you know he didn't wake up in the morning and decide Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah, that's all my question with with uh, Mars today. That's a big question, Billy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Billy Chan, always asking good questions. You can uh, send him questions or follow him at the Joe Chan. Coming up in our second half hour, the Pope coming to Canada, and we speak about parental alienation with David Wong of Critical Mass. So don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Last week, the Vatican announced that Canadian bishops have invited Pope Francis to make an apostolic visit to Canada and that the Holy Father has indicated his willingness to visit our country. This invitation is in the context of the long-standing pastoral process of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. It would also come following a delegation of Indigenous peoples that will travel to Rome this December to meet with the Holy Father, where he will listen to them, address the impact of the role of the church in the residential school system, and respond to their suffering and the ongoing effects of intergenerational trauma. At the same time, this visit will help determine the focus that the Pope's future trip to Canada should have. Now, there isn't much we know about the Pope's visit, but to tell us more about the December delegation and about how we got here, I'm now joined by the most reverend Richard Smith. He's the Archbishop of Edmonton. Archbishop Smith, uh, welcome. It's good to see you. Good to see yourself. Good to be with you, Deacon Pedro. Thanks. Thank you. So is the Pope coming to Canada? He has certainly expressed his willingness and his desire to do so. So, um, as you mentioned in your introduction, when that might be, how it might take place is yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. It's pretty exciting to hear that the Pope has uh, gone on record as saying he's he's heard the invitation of the bishops. He's well aware 
of the long-standing desire of the Indigenous peoples that he come to Canada. And to hear him say that he's now willing to come and wants to work that all out is very exciting. It is. And I'm, and I'm sure that it, all the bishops are now very busy trying to figure out how to put this trip together. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, maybe a little background. How does that work to, for, for the Holy Father to visit a country? I guess the Conference of Bishops has to make a formal invitation. Can you tell us a little bit about how that yeah, went that, about? That's right. So at the last plenary, which was in uh, September, the bishops all agreed unanimously that now would be a good time to, you see, to issue the invitation to the Holy Father. There needs to be one also from the from the government of the country also, which okay. was issued uh, well, a couple of years back now, I believe already. Okay. But the Pope does wait to hear from uh, his bishops in any particular country. So following uh, our plenary meeting, the pr- new president of the conference, Bishop Raymond Poisson, together with the past president, went to Rome for the opening of the synodal process. Right. And while they were there, they took advantage of the time and met with the Cardinal Secretary of State and conveyed through him to the Pope the desire of the bishops of Canada that the Holy Father come to us. So that's how it was issued. Right. Um, so that was a very, very recent request, and, and the Holy Father responded fairly very quickly. quickly. Very quickly. It's yeah, a little, we were encouraged by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a little different than, than the planning of the delegation that's going to visit Rome in December, because my understanding is that that was maybe two or more years in the making. Tell us about how that idea of taking a group of Indigenous people to visit the Holy Father, how that came about. Sure, well, there's a, a little bit to that. So I'd say it's about oh, three years ago now, anyway, the Conference of Bishops established a small working group of bishops, of which I am one, so there's uh, four of us, to look at the overall question of how the church can uh, walk together with Indigenous peoples here in the country of Canada, uh, further our relationships, bring about healing, reconciliation, and so on. And as we pondered this, we reached out to the various national Indigenous organizations, so the organization that deals with the First Nations themselves, mm-hmm. the Assembly of First Nations, the organization that deals with the Métis here in Canada, the National Métis Council, as well as the organization for the Inuit peoples, and spoke with their leadership uh, to talk about how we move the relationship forward. And as this conversation unfolded, it became clear to us that there needed to be some way in order meaningfully to engage with the Holy Father. Right. Or First Nation peoples, he's the chief, right? He's the, he's the head of the church. And so they do want to engage with him. They want to hear from him. Now, the Pope has known all along of the desire that he come to Canada at some point in history, but he had said to the bishops oh, a while ago, and this, this is very much in accord with his mindset around synodality that he's now applying to the whole church. Mm-hmm. He said, you're the, local sh- you're the local shepherds, work with the peoples, forge a path forward for healing and reconciliation, and at an opportune time, give me an idea of when I might be of assistance, whether that's what I might say, coming to Canada for a visit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little open-ended, obviously, so we thought that it would be important to, to move in a way that could help that engagement with the Holy Father happen as soon as possible. And from Mm -hmm. that desire arose this idea of a delegation of Indigenous peoples that would be representative of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit here in our country. Um, And and so the Holy Father, from the outset, together with the Secretary of State, has been very, very receptive to this idea, very supportive of the approach, very much a synodal listening approach as we move forward. 
And uh, it's been a long while coming, but now we're, we, and we, we had hoped, in fact, to have the delegation meet with the Pope long before now, but COVID got away. I, I was going to ask you, had, yeah. had that pandemic not happened, would, would the delegation have been last year? We've had year? dates set a couple of times. Now, finally, yeah. we're coming to this point in December. Where we'll meet yeah, it must, be, it must be the right time. Um, also, at the, at the plenary, when the bishops met in September, uh, you issued an unequivocal apology to the Indigenous peoples of Canada. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people were wondering why that apology didn't take place years ago. Yeah, well, maybe it's helpful to put that in some context. Yes. It's not the first time there's ever been an apology issued by church entities or by bishops. We've been doing that many times over many years, going back as far back as 1991 when the Oblates, who had operated most of the residential schools, issued a very heartfelt, deep apology. And then many religious communities after that and bishops across the country. I've, I've done it a few times. Mm -hmm. I've issued apologies. But what we realized over the last couple of months, especially in the wake of the news that came out of the Kamloops residential school site about unmarked graves and so on, and all the attention that was focused again in a really, really intense way on this issue, it became clear that many people weren't aware of these past apologies. And there was this idea floating, inaccurate, but it was out there floating around, that the church had yet to apologize here in Canada. So we had our opportunity at the plenary um, to make very, very clear once and for all the deep remorse that we feel. And we put that into words, as you say, of unequivocal apology. Mm -hmm. Not the first time it's happened, obviously, but the timing and the circumstances were such that we felt, okay, we need to speak strongly and collectively now to make it really clear to everybody uh, where we stand on this. You said earlier that for, for Indigenous peoples, the Holy Father is the chief. And mm -hmm. so it makes sense that he would he would address them. So So do you think that I mean, you said that Pope Francis understands that. Do you think that, given that, that he would make an apology? Oh, I, I think he's certainly open to say whatever needs to be said that's going to work with the people and bring them healing. Um, obviously, no one knows what the Pope will say until he says it. Yes. I, I do expect that he's going to be uh, very open and receptive to this possibility. And, and in the course of the delegation, he's going to have three distinct meetings, each for right. an hour. Uh, with the First Nations, Inuit, Métis, respectively. They're going to speak to him heart to heart. Mm -hmm. And we just know the deeply compassionate heart of our Holy Father. And he will respond as he feels he needs to in the moment, you know, as he's hearing these stories. And then following the three distinctive meetings, there's going to be one collective gathering, which the right. Pope will speak to all of them together. So we're all anticipating very, very much his words because they're going to mean a great deal uh, to the First Nations, to the Indigenous peoples, as well as to the people of Canada. And the people, yeah, absolutely. And we are going to be hearing a lot about this as in the next couple of months um, and maybe speaking with you again. Thank you, Archbishop Smith, for, for helping us understand everything a little better today. You're most welcome. Archbishop Richard Smith is the Archbishop of Edmonton. You can read all about the Indigenous pastoral initiatives of our Canadian bishops, the work that has been done, including past encounters with popes and several of the apologies that Archbishop Smith mentioned at the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops website, cccb.ca. And if you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to it again, you can visit us at slmedia.org. Here now is Critical Mass with Sorry from their album, Serenity. Tell a 
us that you're sad That you hate your mom and dad Were we there enough when your life got tough To get you through the rough While your mom would spoil I let frustration boil Didn't act as one, we both let you down The harm can't be undone you say that our regret can't help you to forget You say you need to leave our words you won't believe And our love you won't receive We're sorry No way to push rewind Clear the memories left behind No guy to raise you all Didn't answer the call We simply Precious moments pass We pray the scars won't last Sorry's an empty word Floats away unheard But we keep trying undeterred You say that our regret Can't help you to forget You say you need to leave Our words you won't believe And our love you won't receive We're so Start to live, maybe you'll forgive Yet perhaps not while I live That was Critical Mass with Sorry from their album Serenity. Parental alienation occurs when one parent conducts a campaign of denigration to erase the other parent from the lives of their children. I don't need to tell you the harm that this can do, not just to the targeted parent, but to the children. David Wong of the Catholic band Critical Mass has begun a project that advocates for the children and targeted parents of parental alienation that includes a website and a new album. And to tell us more, I spoke with David Wong earlier this week. David, welcome back to the show. It's good to see you. Oh, it's always great to be back on Salt and Light. Thanks so much. Um, it's good to see you, um, and I'm happy to see you, but it's not necessarily a happy topic. Tell us a little bit about what parental alienation, what, it, what is that? So it's when one parent kind of com- c- conducts a campaign of denigration against the other parent and tries to erase that parent. It often happens in high conflict divorces. And if you think about it and think about some of your friends, maybe that have gone through a divorce, it's quite common. But parental alienation happens when it's, it's kind of extreme. Uh, it's really um, one parent will basically use a campaign of denigration. They'll badmouth the other parent. They'll share information they really shouldn't share, like legal documents, things mm-hmm. like that. And they'll try and restrict time and make excuses like, oh, Johnny can't come and see you. He doesn't want to see you, uh, as opposed to encouraging a relationship between a child and a parent. So the result of all this is a child will start to totally reject a parent mm-hmm. and that they will stop. Uh, they will start 
uh, referring to that parent by first name, for example, right. or they'll always say one parent's extremely bad. The other parents really is always really good. Uh, they'll spy for the other parents. Sometimes if they go over on a, on a, on a visit, they'll, they'll gather information for the alienating parent. Right. So it's a horrible situation. And, um, I've been on Facebook groups where the social media, you see people who are targets of parental alienation and they are just, they're suffering. They, they, they see a child that won't talk to them, that, that tr child treats them as if they're dead and uh, won't have anything to do with them. And they get constant reminders through social media. And, and you know, you hear people talk about suicide and uh, depression, anxiety, right. it's horrible. It's, right, it's, uh, so would you say, I mean, I, I would say that any of these issues are of concern to the church, but why would you say it's a specifically important for, for Catholics to be aware of this and particularly maybe Catholic clergy? Well, I mean, Catholics have always been about preservation of the family and the family unit, mm -hmm. right? And in this particular case, you're talking about removing one of the parents. You're talking about one of the parents basically telling the other parent, uh, telling their children, you know, don't honor that mother and father. Like, just leave them alone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's encouraging the child to lie to, to, the, uh, to the other parent yeah, or spy on the other parent. Um, and, you know, I've seen some examinations of conscience where they talk about libel and slander as being thou shalt not kill because you're mm -hmm. literally killing the person's reputation. Well, here's a situation where one parent is really being murdered in the eyes of their child and they no longer exist. Right. So I think it's very important uh that the catholic church especially since we're all about family and, and and two parents that we take this into consideration and and uh and take it seriously because mm -hmm. uh we are talking about one parent being eliminated and and just to be clear you're you're not necessarily talking about a particular parent who may have been abusive or violent or who should not be part of i mean who should be removed or not to be in touch with their kids you're talking about I mean, I mean, I'm not going to say that. I mean, all family, there's a little dysfunction so, so, to all yeah, families. So, I mean, you raise a good point. Like no parent is perfect other than maybe the Holy family. Right. Yes. I mean, but other than with that exception, parents make mistakes. Right. And, you know, in the old days or, you know, discipline was not necessarily was corporal. Right. Yep. So there's a lot of history. There's a lot of culture. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, if a parent uh, has been trying their best and hasn't abused the child. Um, and, and actually, it's an interesting thing. It's a little counterintuitive, but the research shows, Amy Baker had a paper a few years ago that showed that in social work, um, estrangement is interesting in that children who are abused want a relationship. In alienation, it's totally different. The child totally rejects a parent, mm -hmm. which isn't the case oftentimes when there is abuse. So there are techniques to differentiate between estrangement and alienation and this is fairly recent research this is within the last four or five years and i think it's important you know the secular courts are starting to understand this and i think it's important for the church to catch up yeah and would you say i mean i think it's fair to say that a parent can be a victim of this but really the victims are the children oh absolutely i mean think about a child being told that half of who they are half their dna is evil mm -hmm. And to totally reject that part of you, that's really 50% of your genetic makeup, 50% of who you really are. And you're being told to reject that person. And it causes incredible 
psychological issues later on in life. And it tends to be intergenerational too. Um, you know, kids who have suffered from parental alienation, they don't have, they have low self-esteem, they have tr trouble trusting, uh, they have trouble forming relationships. And in some cases, they actually repeat the pattern of parental alienation with their own children. Right. So the song that we heard just before the interview called Sorry is about that. Why is the song called Sorry? Well, I think, you know, no parents, no parent is perfect. And uh, the, the album Serenity is, 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 a, is about a journey. It's about mm -hmm. a journey where, you know, one fifth of all Catholic marriages end in divorce, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a little bit better than the general population but not much and so there's a lot of us that go through divorce separation and my album serenity is about that path from divorce to hope and faith and 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 uh and love but along that journey sometimes alienation happens so alienation is part of that journey part of that album but as as well as the alienation there's also every parent no parent is perfect and every parent does things sometimes that may cause those feelings of alienation, although it may not be deserved. Oh, right. Um, and, and so this song is actually written from the perspective of both parents. Okay. To their children. Right. Saying, I'm so sorry. I can't take things back. But, you know, uh, for, I often talk to alienated parents and those who have a faith. I always talk to them about the fact that, you know, they've lost hope. But I tell them. Um, you know what, if Jesus really is the truth, then at the end of time, your children will know the truth. They'll mm -hmm. know how much you love them. Yeah. They'll know that you've made mistakes and that both parents have made mistakes, but they will know the truth. They will know the depth of your love at that time. So as Catholics, if you have been alienated or are suffering, there is always hope because of our faith, right? And that's what that story, that last verse, or the last line, you know, you may not know, my life might be over before you before you'll know the truth. Right. It's it, it's also hopeful. It's sad. Yeah. Very sad, but it's it, also it, hope it, yeah. because of it, faith. Yeah. Now you obviously you you worked on the songs that was part of your own healing process, the, the album, but it's a it's a larger it, the project is larger than that. Tell us about the website and maybe how it can help. There might be uh, people listening right now that are experiencing alienation. They don't even know that it's called that. How, exactly. how, uh, what, what do you, what do you want to tell them? Well, I've, I've put together a, a website called uh, endalienation.org and it's based around the song alienation and alienation is actually kind of interesting. It's a play on words. Mm -hmm. So alien nation, uh, I actually drew from that old movie invasion of the body snatchers uh, where, you know, you yep. had alien haters, but it's interesting in that movie, people you knew suddenly behave differently. Yeah, they would say the words, they would seem to have the same memories, but they were they were evil. And that same thing happens in parental alienation as well. Your children actually become controlled. So, yeah, so I, I drew that analogy. So that video, there's a music video that we just released, but the whole website is based on alienation. That's why it's called endalienation.org. And I have all sorts of resources, um, links to scientific articles. That's the professor in me, the geek mm -hmm. in me. I wanted to make sure that everything was backed up by research. I've got interviews with lawyers, legal uh, people, children who've been alienated. Um, and of course, the music is all there, the music videos. And I'm trying to help people uh, kind of like provide a soundtrack to those people, not just going through alienation, but also those who are 
in high conflict divorces that yeah. might become an alienator, right? Mm -hmm. Unwittingly, you know, encouraging yeah. people to, you know what? Don't badmouth that other parent, right? right? Treat them with respect. Right, because you don't know that it might have that effect. It might not be intentional. Exactly. Um, David, thank you. I know it's, it's a difficult journey for a lot of alienated parents, um, but thank you for, for responding to it in, in, a, in a way that's hopefully helping a lot of other people heal. Um, and I hope the album can also be a soundtrack for those who are going yes. through separation and divorce. So it's a part of a bigger picture. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much, David. Thank you for the work and for telling us about it today. Thanks a lot, Pedro. Take care. That was a conversation I had with David Wong of Critical Mass earlier this week. If you or someone you know is suffering from parental alienation, you may want to go to David's site, endalienation.org, where you'll find lots of resources. That's also where you can find the new album, Serenity. And to find out more about Critical Mass, you can go to their website, criticalmassmusic.org. Here now is Critical Mass with Alienation from their album, Serenity. My flesh and blood betrays I'm in a daze There's whispers behind the doors Chills me to the core No guilt in their rejection False accusations Systematic shunning listening to Critical Mass with Alienation from their album Serenity, and that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro, and you can also reach me via email, pedro at slmedia.org. I love to hear your comments and messages, and I respond to every single email that I receive, so write to me. 
And also remember that you can listen to every single Salt and Light Hour episode on our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. But you can also subscribe to the Salt and Light Hour Catholic Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, we'll be speaking with children's author Carissa Douglas about her next installment of the Little Douglings series. And we will also meet singer-songwriter and guitar master Fred Cacciotti. So I hope that you can join us. Thank you for being with us today. Continue to take care of yourselves and of each other and pray for each other. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Salt and Light Hour.